Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Before we start the show, I'd like for our listeners to know that a part of this conversation today was recorded before the passing of Nick Charles. Uh, the last segment of the show was, in fact, recorded uh, after his death. I just want to say that we are deeply saddened by the loss of this incredible individual. He was truly uh, a fighter, and, and uh, we stand inspired uh, by his powerful story uh, and, and the hope that he shared with us. And we certainly hope that this show today will give you uh, inspiration from Nick's legacy. The wellness community and Gilda's Club have united to become the cancer support community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at over 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. On today's show, which is being brought to you in part by Azi and Morphotech, we are joined by three guests who are here to talk about the life of American sportscaster and journalist Nick Charles, who was diagnosed with metastatic stage 4 bladder cancer in August of 2009. Uh, as you may know, Nick Charles was one of CNN's first on-air personalities and their first sports anchor in 1980. Uh, since then, he's covered almost every major sporting event, from the Olympics to the Super Bowl to the Kentucky Derby. Um, but most likely known best for his coverage of boxing events, Nick Charles covered some classic fights in his career, including that uh, that famous fight where, uh, where Mike Tyson bit Evander Holyfield. Um, now, however, Nick really is in the most important fight of his life, and that's the, the, the fight to stay alive. Uh, in August of 2009, as I said, he was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic bladder cancer and with treatment was given about 20 months to live. Well, he's now in his 21st month since that diagnosis, and Nick's story has received tremendous coverage um, on his courage, uh, to face death. Um, he had several in-depth interviews on, on CNN with Sanjay Gupta. We'd encourage you to, to, um, uh, to check those out. But we really want to talk about this today. I have um, uh, uh, some guests who are here to, to help us uh, really dig in. We've got... Um, uh, we're also going to have a, a, a special feature later in the show with Rick Bernstein, HBO producer, 
um, and, and hear a little bit about uh, about Nick Charles' final uh, final dream and, and and what that looked like. And all of our guests will really provide insight into the life of Nick Charles. And we're going to talk about bladder cancer. I think it's critical to raise awareness on this. It's the fifth most common cancer in America, and we don't we, we don't know very much about it. We're not talking much about it, and so we want to change that today. So uh, throughout the show, we'll be talking certainly about Nick's life and 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 career and um, what he is facing now. But we're also going to be talking about symptoms prevention, treatment options and resources available for those um, diagnosed with bladder cancer. So joining us today on our show is Steve Farhood, an American boxing historian and analyst. Um, he has served as editor-in-chief of The Ring and KO Magazine, two well-known boxing publications, as well as first vice president of the Boxing Writers Association of America. Uh, Steve is also Nick Charles' best friend and, and uh, a former co-worker, so thanks for being here, Steve. My pleasure, Kim. We're also joined by Diane zapersky Qualley, the president and co-founder of the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, also known as Beacon. Diane and her late husband, John, founded the nonprofit in 2005, um, and it is dedicated to bringing light to this often um, ignored disease, and Beacon is certainly a friend of the cancer support community, and I welcome you, Diane. Thank you, Kim. I'm really happy to be here. So we've got a, a, a lot to... Um, to cover, and I want to uh, jump in and start with Steve, and, and, and uh, I want to learn a little bit, uh, and I know our listeners do a little bit more about Nick today, so we're, we're so glad you could be here to speak on behalf of Nick and his, uh, his family. I guess my qu- first question, Steve, would be, is, um, and how's he doing right now? How's he doing today? Well, I spoke to him uh, a couple of days ago, and I'm in touch with his wife uh, pretty much daily now. Um, Nick recently moved into a house he built in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Uh, it was a dream house, and the plans to build that house actually started before he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. So this was a big deal and I think a, a, a strong motivation for him to fight cancer once he was diagnosed with the stage 4 cancer. And thank uh, goodness he was able to move into the house. So he's loving Santa Fe, New Mexico after living in Atlanta for a long time when he was with CNN. And in a physical sense, his body is, is showing signs now that it's breaking down a little bit, unfortunately. He's, he's much weaker than he was. He's fallen a couple of times. Uh, mentally and psychologically, he's strong as ever and uh, actually speaks of being in a very good place. He loves waking up every day and living in that new house in Santa Fe with the, with the vistas you know, that he, he gets to see every day and, uh, and to have his family with him. So I think psychologically he's in a very good place, um, but physically because because he stopped chemo quite a while ago, uh, earlier this year, um, you know, it's, a li- it's getting a little tougher for him. Yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about his family, Steve? Sure. Uh, Nick and his wife, Corey, who also works for CNN, she's in charge of international bookings. Um, they've been married, oh, I guess about 14 years, and they have uh, my goddaughter, is uh, Giovanna. They're absolutely beautiful, most beautiful girl in the world, um, the joy of Nick's life, and she's five years old. And Nick also has children in their 30s, a son and a daughter in their 30s from his first marriage, and they live in Phoenix, and uh, Jason and Melissa. And then he has an adopted daughter from Korea from his second marriage who lives in Atlanta, and that's uh, Katie. So that's the uh, family, and uh, certainly the, the, the value of family, I think, has come to the forefront as Nick battles this disease. Yeah, I, uh, I did have a chance myself um, to, to, to watch that, uh, that, that CNN piece, and I was mm-hmm. particularly struck by the interaction with his five-year-old daughter, Giovanna. And, um, uh, you know, at one point he says to her, I'm going to be in your heart and in your soul. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and she says, what's your soul, Daddy? You know, what does that mean? And he talks about, you know, that's something Jesus gave us uh, um, so that we can stay connected. And, and um, I'm, you know, I'm going to be in this better place waiting for you. I, right. You know, in, incredibly uh, emotional. Has he always been that kind of emotional guy? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think one of the reasons Nick and I hit it off, I mean, we've known each other for about 30 years, but we have worked together more like 14, 13 years. One of the reasons we hit it off is, is Nick is, is a very, uh, he's an introspective guy, but he's also a guy who will discuss his feelings. You know, a lot of men have trouble doing that. I, I am the same, I guess. Uh, it, it, the proper term today would be we're in touch with our feminine sides, maybe, whatever that means. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. you know, we're willing to talk about our feelings and emotions so that when Nick was, was hit with this uh, disease, you know, he, he was open about it. And we were able to discuss it where some men would, and women, I suppose, would withdraw and uh, not want to talk about it. But Nick is a, is a you know, he's that kind of guy. He, he, he speaks freely about his feelings, and he's an absolutely remarkable guy in terms of, uh, in many, many ways. But uh, that's one of the reasons I think we're as close as we are, because there, there was never any subject we couldn't talk about, and when he was diagnosed mm-hmm. with this illness, of course, that, that continued. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I want to, I want to talk a little bit more about that, Steve. But let's, let's, uh, if you could um, give our listeners some of the highlights of uh, of Nick's career and and uh, the story of his professional life, so they really mm-hmm. have some some context here. That would sure. be great. Yeah, I'll give you a little thumbnail. Um, Nick went to Nick grew up in Chicago. Um, very humble beginnings. Um, his father was a cab driver. He was a cab driver, and he went to a, a local college and decided he wanted to go into television and got a job pretty much right out of college. Uh, his first job in Springfield, Illinois, on a lo- you know a local cha- a news channel. Yeah, and he was yeah. doing he was doing farm reports. And if you know Nick Charles today, picturing him doing farm reports must be. I, I wish there was footage of that because <laughs> that would blow me away to see that. And anybody that knows urbane Nick Charles would be blown away by that. But eventually he did the, you know, took the next step, went from Springfield, uh, became a sports anchor in Baltimore and then in Washington, and then moved to Atlanta in 1980, I should say, um, when a new network called CNN began. And Nick was a, the, the face of CNN Sports for 20 years. Uh, he and Fred Hickman hosted the, anchored the, uh, the nightly sports news every uh, night at 11 o'clock. And after he left CNN, he joined me as the announcers for a fledgling boxing show on Showtime called Showbox. And Nick was the face of that show um, and my broadcast partner for eight and a half, nine years until, until he was diagnosed. He was diagnosed. He stayed on the show for a little bit left to do some chemo, came back, and then realized like he couldn't continue a regular schedule, so he left. But I tell you one very quick story. Nick is a wine connoisseur and loves his wine. And we always would have a meal uh, at a restaurant in whatever city we were doing our live boxing show the day of the show before we went left to go to work. And Nick would always say, oh, I'd kill for a glass of wine, but he'd never have one because... Obviously, you don't drink the day you're working on live television. The last show he did with us was in Chicago, fittingly, in his hometown uh, in April 2010. And he ordered a glass of wine because he knew it was going to be his last show with us. And that's when I lost it. I just lost it, you know, because he said, you know, it's my last show. And it was a very poignant moment. And, uh, you know, that was the last time he worked for Showtime in April of 2010. And and so how so how did he learn that he had the, the 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 bladder cancer? What was what was going on with that? Well, when it was diagnosed, it was already stage four. Um, he the only uh, signs he had yeah. were that he was waking up in the middle of the night to urinate quite a bit, yeah. maybe six to eight times, 
It's a yeah. little unusual. Um, but, you know, I guess his attitude was, well, I'm in my 60s now. This is not uncommon. And it took a while. Um, and then when he finally did go to the doctor, that's how he was diagnosed. And I, I know mm-hmm. his, his wife and Nick both uh, stressed to me to mention that, that the, he, they strongly recommend annual bladder screenings through blood tests for men over 60 who smoked at one point in their lives, which Nick did. Uh, mm-hmm. That could have saved Nick's life. You know, okay. but uh, but he didn't have that. So so the the cancer was already pretty aggressive by the time it was diagnosed. So I know. So we are going to get to um, some of that medical information. We're going to in just a couple minutes. We're going to pull Diane into the conversation and get to some of those risk factors and screenings um, and, and things like that. And we've just got a couple minutes till our first break here, Steve. Mm-hmm. But um, I know I know that uh, you know. Obviously, you, you know, covering this boxing, you got a lot of fighting analogies going on. I'm going to I'm going to fight this cancer. I'm going to uh, you know I'm going to take this on. I'm going to take on this foe. Um, and I know that uh, uh, that Nick did seek some pretty aggressive treatment, but, but, but earlier in the year decided that he was going to um, end, end his treatment. What was, what was that like for him? How did he come to that decision? Well, at that point, it was all about quality of life. I mean, we all know mm-hmm. what, what kind of effect chemotherapy can have, and he had a lot of it for a long time. And yeah. you know what goes with that. I mean, there are so many different things that can that can affect your body. And he decided, you know, in his head, he was he was comfortable with the fact that he was going to eventually die, that he had stage four cancer, and he wanted to, you know, uh, for the sake of his daughter, if nothing else, and his family, he wanted to to just, you know, make the last uh, whatever it was going to be um, as quality as it could be. So that that was pretty much. His, uh, his thinking. Yeah, and uh, and again, just from looking at that CNN interview, he really he really seemed at peace with that decision. He really seemed like he was going to uh, almost embrace mm-hmm. that decision and really have the the best life that he could for his remaining time. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that Nick's a spiritual guy. You know, some yeah. people are, some people aren't. Uh, yeah. That's just the way we are. And you're not going to, you know, probably not going to change at a time like that, but he always has been. Um, yeah. And that helped him a lot because he really does believe, you know, that he's going, going to be watching his daughter and wife, yeah. you know, and, and they will rejoin him at some point. Yeah. Um, this is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're having a pretty interesting um, conversation today about uh we're talking about bladder cancer, but we're talking uh, in particular about Nick Charles, uh, who was diagnosed with stage four uh, bladder cancer, um, one of CNN's first, first ever on-air uh, personalities and, and their first uh, sports anchor in, um, uh, in 1980. He uh, made the decision earlier this year to uh, end uh, chemotherapy after almost uh, t- two years of, of, uh, of treatment. Um, a pretty emotional interview on, on uh, CNN where he really shares about the impact of this diagnosis and how he's uh, make, making the most um, uh, out of his time that's, uh, uh, that's remaining. We're, we're, uh, we're just going to take a quick break right here. We're going to come back. We're going to uh, bring uh, Diane Qualley into the conversation. We're going to uh, talk a little bit about bladder cancer, about some of the statistics, um, and uh, get into some of the risk factors, some of the screening. So, uh, obviously, you know, we appreciate talking about uh, uh, Nick's life and all that he has shared and how open he's been, um, and we do want to make sure that we're sharing some education and information uh, with our listeners today. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355. Or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Steps to a healthier you. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is uh, brought to you in part today by Genentech and, and Celgene. On today's show, we're talking about the life of American sports caster Nick Charles, who was diagnosed in 2009 with uh, incurable bladder cancer. Uh, I'm joined today by Nick's best friend and former co-worker Steve Farhood as well as uh, Diane Qualley, the president and co-founder of the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, also known as Beacon. Um, unfortunately, Diane lost her husband, John, to the disease three years ago. Um, and uh, uh, again, you know, John and Diane together founded this organization. We're very strong uh, uh, advocates for bladder cancer. Um, and I know that you'll uh, be able to help some of our listeners out there today. Um, I, you know, I want to I hear, Diane, about your, uh, your family's experience with uh, bladder cancer. And I also want to share some important information and facts uh, um, with, our, with our listeners today. So can, can you just tell us a little bit about your own personal experience and, and John's experience, Diane? Sure. My husband, John, was diagnosed um, with bladder cancer when he was 53, and that was in 2000. Um, and he had a very aggressive form of bladder cancer, um, and he underwent chemotherapy in 2001. Um, he had stage 4 disease, just like Nick Charles. Um, but when he underwent the chemo in 2001, he had a great response um, and so was clear of the metastatic disease until 2007. Um, during that time, in that six-year period, uh, he had uh, bladder cancer. One of the attributes of it is it has a very high recurrence rate. So he kept on getting um, uh, tumors in his bladder, so he kept on having treatment um, throughout that period, and including removal of his bladder in 2006. Mm-hmm. But in 2007, the metastatic disease came back, and it came back with a vengeance. And he did chemotherapy again, um, initially responded well, but then um, in April, uh, the chemotherapy no longer worked. And um, he, my husband died in June three years ago. Mm, we're very sorry for your loss, uh, Diane, and I know he did quite a bit to um, help raise awareness of uh, uh, of this disease and, and uh, found this organization with you. Um, let, let's get to some facts, Diane, because this is really an incredible educational opportunity. You both are obviously talking about 
you know, some very personal experiences, but I want to make sure we're using this conversation as a chance to really educate uh, people about bladder cancer. So, Diane, what, what are some of the basic facts our listeners need to know about bladder cancer, particularly in terms of uh, some of the risks uh, for developing it? Are there any prevention measures available? Let, let's dive in a little bit. Sure. Well, Kim, you mentioned yourself. I think what's most important for people to know is how common bladder cancer is. Mm-hmm. Um, there are more than 70,000 new cases each year. More than 14,000 people die of bladder cancer. And as I mentioned, one of it, it, it has a high recurrence rate. So for those people who have bladder cancer, um, it requires lifetime surveillance. And right now there are more than a half a million people in the United States who are living with bladder cancer. Um, it's more common in men than in women. Okay. But women are more likely to be diagnosed with advanced disease or have a worse prognosis, and in part because women often have a delayed prognosis. And that goes to the need for early detection. And what Steve was talking about, certainly in Nick's case as well, the risk factors for bladder cancer, smoking's the number one risk factor. Okay. Um, if, if you're a smoker, you need to know about bladder cancer. Um, the other risk factors include, um, as I mentioned, men tend to get it more than women. People who've worked in certain <clears throat> industries that have chemicals work with certain dyes and chemicals. So people who work in the rubber, leather, printing, textile, painting industry because of exposure to those chemicals are at higher risk. There are certain environmental toxins, including arsenic in the water, that is a great risk of bladder cancer. And veterans tend to be at a higher risk for the disease, in part because of the smoking, but also because of all of the toxins that they encounter, both when they might be on the battlefield, but also at a lot of the bases around the country. The most common symptom of bladder cancer is blood in your urine. And oftentimes, you can see it. It's very bright red blood. Um, Blood in your urine for anybody should be a 911. You have to go see a doctor. It is Mm -hmm. not normal. It is Mm -hmm. not normal under any circumstances. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, as is indicated, was shown by Nick's experience, urgency or frequency also Mm -hmm. can be an indication of bladder cancer. Both of those symptoms, though, are also symptoms of common urinary tract infections. So what you need to do is you need to go see a doctor. You need to be tested. You need to make sure that doctor does a urine culture to make sure that there is bacteria in your urine. If there's bacteria in your urine, you have an infection, so you should be treated accordingly. If not, and you've had those symptoms, you need to be screened for bladder cancer. And so, Diane, are there... um uh, if someone is doesn't have any symptoms, asymptomatic, mm-hmm. is are there standard screening guidelines for bladder cancer? Like, for example, women are supposed to get regular mammographies, men are supposed to get a PSA test for their prostate. Are there standard screening guidelines for prostate for uh, for bladder cancer? No, there are not. No, there are not. There have been some studies done. There's one study that was done in Rochester of men who had been smoking and underwent bladder cancer screening, and there had been some good results from that. But, no, there is no, there's no test that's been set forth for screening the general population for bladder cancer. And that's why it's important for the public to know the symptoms of the disease and the signs so that, especially if they have some other risk factors, but even if they don't, it's really important for people to be proactive and know what could be possible out there. What happens a lot, especially in women, because as we know, 
blood and urine with women is more commonplace than it is with sure, men. Sure. There are many other reasons for that. So sure. oftentimes women get treated for a urinary tract infection, mm-hmm. and what happens with this, this blood and urine, it happens and then it goes away. But mm-hmm. they might be treated and might be treated repeatedly for several months, many months, maybe even over a year, when they've never been tested for bladder cancer. And by the time somebody finds it, it's often more advanced. So that's and why we're seeing it more advanced because we're not seeing a standard screening. The symptoms could seem like they're symptoms of other things, so they're not ignored. We're not looking for bladder cancer, and so by the time the symptoms are more severe, the disease is advanced. Is that what you're saying? That in many cases that can be, and certainly in Nick's case, because as Steve mentioned, an older man um, getting up to have to urinate in the night is not a big deal. I mean, and, right. and many, you'll go see your doctor, you'll complain of that symptom, and, you know, they'll say, well, it's your prostate, and this is what, right. you know, it always happens this way. But I can, can, I've heard too many stories of people, both men and women, who've gone to their doctors and haven't been, been even suspected of having bladder cancer. And so do you think the, the doctors are looking at this right? Are they taking this seriously? Do you... Um, you know, if these symptoms persist? I mean, what should we be telling folks today? Well, I think what people need to know is if they go and their doctor treats them, either ignores their their concern about bladder cancer or treats them for something else, but the symptoms continue, then you need to go to another doctor. Um, mm-hmm. urolog- ur- urologists are the primary care people for for bladder cancer, so if you're if your internist or if you're a woman, if your OBGYN hasn't... Um, Taking your concerns seriously, you still are having symptoms, get yourself to a urologist. Yeah, yeah. Well, so let's just go for a minute, um, Diane, into the most common treatment uh, for the disease. We obviously heard Steve talk about Nick and, and, and you know, that he did do, do, do treatment and chemo mm-hmm. for almost, you know, almost for two years. Your husband uh, uh, did that treatment as well as chemotherapy. I mean, is chemotherapy the most common treatment? Is there surgery? Is there radiation? What, what, what do we well, know about treatment? bladder cancer is really a couple of different, uh, there are t- different stages of the disease and different types yeah. of the disease. The most common kind is not what Nick and my husband had. The okay. most common kind is non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, which as long as it's caught early and you are um, continue to go back to your urologist because it is the high recurrence rate, then it's not life-threatening. And that typically just involves looking into your bladder, removing a tumor. This is typically an outpatient um, procedure uh, for removal of the tumor and then oftentimes treated with therapy directly into your bladder that might be an immunotherapy known as BCG or it can also be there's certain chemotherapy agents that they'll put directly into your bladder to try to prevent any kind of recurrence and try to prevent the disease from advancing at all. If, however, um, and that's about 75% of the cases are this non-muscle invasive if it is muscle invasive and aggressive, which is both what Nick and my husband had, um, typically removal of the bladder and reconstruction of a urinary, um, some kind of urinary system is required. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, um, patients will get chemotherapy before the surgery. Sometimes okay. they'll get chemotherapy after. And then for stage four disease, like both Nick and my husband had, as we know, that chemotherapy is what um, the standard treatment is. Unfortunately, um, since there hasn't been a lot of research into bladder cancer, if first-line chemotherapy does not work, there is no good second-line chemotherapy. Mm. So we're not seeing really good treatment advances for this disease? 
there's been no treatment advances in this, for this disease in about 30 years. Wow. It's That's because astonishing. bladder cancer has been largely ignored, and the research dollars haven't been focused on bladder cancer. Well, why is that, Diane? Um, well, I, I, <laughs> I think in part it's, it's a couple of things, Kim. I think um, as, we all, as we know really well about cancer, things don't happen until people start screaming and saying, this isn't good enough, we're not going to take it anymore. And until we got Beacon started six years ago, no one was talking about bladder cancer. And yeah. so it, it was largely ignored. And I think another part of it, too, is um, Bob Schieffer, who is also a bladder cancer survivor, yeah. talks about bladder cancer being one of these below-the-belt um, right. diseases, and people aren't comfortable talking about it. Um, and I think we all just need to get rid of this, what we call this yuck factor, um, yeah. and we can talk about it because it's really important. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, we're we're going to take a quick break right here. This is, uh, frankly speaking, about cancer. Um, we are talking today um, about bladder cancer. We are talking about uh, uh, the legend, Nick Charles, and his battle uh, with, uh, with bladder cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, which is uh, brought to you in part today by Millennium and Amgen. Um, on today's show, we're talking about Nick Charles' professional life and his personal openness regarding his stage 4 bladder cancer diagnosis. Um, we just heard some great insight uh, from uh, Diane Qualley, the founder of Beacon, the Bladder Cancer Advocacy uh, Network. Um, Diane, I just want to go, uh, if you can just take a minute to, to tell our folks about um, Beacon and, and, and how they can get in touch with you? Oh, I'd be more than happy to. Um, Beacon is, our, our mission is to raise awareness about this bladder cancer, to advance research, and to provide services and support for the bladder cancer community. And I urge everyone to take a look at our website, 
which is www.bcanbeacon.org. Uh, we have a host of information there um, to, to help people through this journey. We have available a patient handbook for those who are newly diagnosed. We do educational forums around the United States, um, regional forums, and we have all of those available on our website as well for those who can't attend. Um, we offer a peer-to-peer matching service for people who are newly diagnosed or possibly facing surgery for the removal of their bladder to talk to others who've been through that journey. Um, we also have an online support community where people can reach out to others and share their experiences and gain valuable insight and information. Great. We feel really strongly that nobody should have to go through this bladder cancer journey alone. We agree with you. And, again, Beacon is a very good friend of the uh, cancer support community. And, and um, I just want to mention that... Uh, at the cancer support community, we've got 50 centers around the country where we're providing support groups, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction for people with all cancers, including uh, bladder cancer, and for their family members and loved ones. So, um, so important that folks know about these wonderful resources uh, that are out there to support them through their journey because we agree that no one should have to face cancer uh, alone. We're joined also today by Steve Farhood, who is an American boxing historian and analyst and, and uh, really Nick Charles' uh, closest friend and, and, and a former co-worker. Um, uh, we've discussed uh, Nick's initial diagnosis, um, but I want to talk, uh, Steve, a little bit about the impact of, um, uh, of this disease on, on, on Nick's life. He's had a public battle. With, uh, with bladder cancer, um, I, I, we're just uh, really amazed and inspired by his willingness to discuss the diagnosis, and, and uh, he's bringing, I think, much-needed attention to this um, uh, type of cancer that we're not really, really talking about. Um, you know, you, you've, uh, you've shared with our, with our producers here that Nick's been pretty open about uh, mm-hmm. Facing this disease that 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 may lead um, that may lead to his death that will lead to his death. Um, can you tell our listeners about you know what his outreach has been like and why you think he's decided to be so so open about this? Well, I think there are a couple of factors in why he's been so open about it. One is as I as I said before, he he's he's a, he's in touch with his emotions. He's not scared or uh, reluctant to discuss his feelings. And when you add that the fact that this is a a man who's been on television every day of his life, basically, yeah. he's a very public person. Um, I think that he realized that this was an opportunity, and Nick is a very selfless guy and has been when it's come, and, come to this, and he realized that this was a great opportunity to, to in terms of awareness and letting people know not just about bladder cancer and prevention and everything else, but, but how to deal with this kind of, you know, uh, life-threatening, if not life-ending uh, issue. So I think he's He's been very selfless in doing that, and uh, he's also had the forum, because he's Nick Charles, who's been on television for so long, to, yeah. to be featured on CNN and to be uh, you know, featured in Sports Illustrated, a great column, by the way, uh, in the back page of Sports Illustrated that people, I'm sure, can find it somewhere online uh, from about two yeah. months ago. So this, is all, this was all, he saw it as an opportunity, and, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. I, I, I agree, and I just, again, I found that... Uh, the interview that I watched on 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 TV was just so uh, so touching, and I think that 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 you know we started to I, you know I I probably look at this differently because I work in the cancer space every day, but mm-hmm. I started to see some themes um, um, emerging as I saw him really talk about this. Just the, thinking about family, 
thinking about friendships. I think that, that, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, why he decided to end his, his, his treatment. And, you know, I mean, he's this guy who's, you know, been so public. He's been in the, you know, we talk about boxing. We talk about being in the fight. He talked about wanting to, to, to take this on with, uh, you know, all the energy that he had and then really coming to that decision to, um, to end his treatment. And, and, you know, I mean, no, nobody knows what they would do in that situation, right? Nobody knows how he would face that, but, but, but um, how any of us would, would, would face that and when we would decide to make those decisions and what those mean mm-hmm. for each person, you know, individually. But the other theme that I, that, that I thought was really powerful, and maybe you can comment on it, Steve, is um, just the idea of legacy. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really just so extraordinary, um, the interaction that he had with his daughter, Giovanna, and these, um, these video diaries. Uh, that he's doing and, and, and thinking about her life and, and thinking about uh, her future. Even you talked about them building this new um, home, and he goes into an empty closet and envisions her prom dress there. Mm-hmm. And, boy, you just can't help but getting, you know, get choked up when you, when, when you, when you experience these moments. But what, in, in your interactions with him, how has he talked about legacy? How did this idea of these video diaries come up? Can you touch on that, Steve? Yeah, when he was first diagnosed, and Nick had a lot of options. He could have written a book. Uh, he was actually approached about that. I even discussed doing something with him in that regard because I'm a writer. Um, and he decided with time uh, that the, the most important thing, and I think correctly so, was the, the time that he had with his family. And one of the things he's done is a, is a video diary uh, for each birthday of his, each, each subsequent birthday of his daughter Giovanna's life. The Giovanna's five years old now, and we all know that when you're five, uh, if, if Nick does pass within some time in the next year, her memories are going to be, you know, uh, partial. Um, yeah. because, because of her age. And what Nick did sure. was he's put one-minute pieces together uh, for her birthday for every year until she's 11, and he, he may do some more if he's up to it. Um, and I think that's wonderful. And I think uh, as a result, you know, we live in a technological age. Our, our grandparents couldn't have done that. But today you can do something like that, and, and I think that will serve to, to not only, you know, remind Giovanna that she had a wonderful father, but to have, actually have some interaction there when she's a little older when, and when she'll need it. And it's a beautiful thing, and, and uh, she's a beautiful girl, and, and he's, she's the life of his, uh, you know, the, the, the sunshine in his life. Yeah, yeah. So, obviously, he's talked very openly about his family, but in terms mm-hmm. of a broader audience, in terms of his, you know, his, uh, his fan base, those people who did watch him over, uh, uh, over all those years and have this incredible, you know, respect and affection uh, for him, what, what are some of the messages you think he's, he's been trying to get out there into the broader community, either about his own experience or about bladder cancer? Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what's he, what's he been trying to communicate to the public through that forum? Well, I think he's been inspirational, and I think his number one message, um, you know, is basically that, uh, this may sound ridiculous, but I'll say it anyway, that a death sentence doesn't have to be a death sentence. Uh, you know, yeah. enjoy every day, live life every day. Just because you've been struck by a, a potentially uh, devastating disease doesn't mean you should stop living your life. And, right. you know, and I think Nick has done that so well by returning to, to the air, by staying in touch with so many people. If I told you the outpouring and love uh, that the boxing community and the mm. boxing fans have had for Nick, uh, that's been very inspirational to him. So in turn, he's turned around and said, you know, uh, he's, he really is happy and content with where he's at. And that, that, that's a sign of a remarkable man. And he wants to get that across to people that, uh, you know, you don't have to shrivel up and, uh, and go inside and, and, and hide from the rest of your life just because uh, you have stage four cancer. 
Yeah, yeah, I, and, and you know, obviously those the those interactions with the you know a, a five year old child are you know incredibly powerful, and they've obviously been very open about uh, all, all of this with her. Can you talk a little bit about his his interactions with his uh, adult uh, children and, and what that's been like? Yes, um, he, he's you know he hasn't lived obviously he hasn't lived with his his adult children in quite a while. Yeah. Um, but he, his son Jason, uh, because of because of the fact that Santa Fe is not all that far from Phoenix, uh, yeah. it's been much easier than when they were in it when Nick was in Atlanta for for Jason and Melissa, his children from his first marriage, to uh, to get together. And his relationship with Melissa actually is has is far improved from what it once was, um, and they've grown much closer. So that's good. But one of the things that's in that CNN piece that I think people will really marvel at who haven't seen it yet is the the interaction between Nick and his five-year-old daughter and then the interaction between Nick and Mike Tyson, of all people. <laughs> you know, I mean, the average person who's not a boxing fan has an image in their mind of Mike Tyson, no doubt. And Mike... When he heard about Nick, started calling him almost you know every other day for quite a while, and then went let traveled from Vegas without any plans of you know being on camera or anything like that. Traveled yeah. from Vegas to Santa Fe to see Nick, and it happens to be caught on camera, and uh, you see a different Mike Tyson, and you see the love these two men have for each other. They've been close for a long time, and it's really pretty remarkable, both from Nick's perspective and Tyson's perspective. Yeah, tell me tell me a little bit more about that. How did Nick? You know, re- react to re- react to that visit. What did that mean for him? Well, it meant a lot. And and you know, this is Mike Tyson. And and really, it's it's pretty revealing because we know Mike Tyson's sort of been a man child for most of his life, and never really had anybody he could trust. Any uh, didn't grow up with a father, etc. And Nick, who's sixty five, and Tyson now is I'm guessing for early forties. I don't know. Um, it's pretty clear that 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 Tyson views Nick in a certain way, a certain paternal way, or, or an avuncular way. And it's really remarkable to see. Because you see Mike Tyson, whose whose life experience is to never trust anyone because everyone's out to get me. Um, the, the the trust and closeness he feels with with Nick says a lot about both the void that Tyson's had in his life and how special a person Nick is, and the fact that Nick and Mike had that connection all these years. And it's remarkable to see. It's quite very well on and that's Dr. Sanjay Gupta piece on CNN. It is caught very well there. I think it's just, uh, again, it's just, it's this, it feels like this incredibly spontaneous and and unexpected moment. Like you said, I mean, and he even says, you know, it's not about these cameras. It's not about, it's about this person that you you care about and that Mm -hmm. you respect. And you find out he's sick and and people say, well, why don't you go and see him? You know, he's he's sick. Go and see him. How are you going to feel if this guy dies and you never did that? Right and and do you I mean do you see I, you know we see that brought out a lot in people um, uh, but uh, I, I think you're you're absolutely right to take this experience of this guy like the, the, you know this this the guy like Mike Tyson who does have this uh, you know this image of of uh, you know like you said you know kind of tough guy mean guy obviously and um, to see him really. Uh, break down even when he comes into the house and you see him hugging Nick. You just he can't. I can't take his hands off of him. Right, really just, right. He keeps touching his his shoulders and touching his arms, and he just like he can't let go of this embrace. And which is, I think just from that moment, it's just it's um it's it's really extraordinary. Yeah. Um, 
this is frankly speaking about cancer. We're talking today about uh, about the legend sportscaster Nick Charles and and uh, his 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 battle today with uh, stage four uh, bladder cancer and and uh, everything that he is uh, going through and 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 how that has brought out uh, a legacy, how it's brought out emotion uh, and uh, so many other amazing things in the face of a very difficult illness. We're going to take a very quick break here. We'll be right back. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the health care process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This is your host, Kim Tibaldo. As previously mentioned, uh, this last uh, portion of our show today on Frankly Speaking About Cancer is being recorded after the passing of Nick Charles. We are um, honored to be joined in this special segment by Rick Bernstein, who is Senior Vice President and Executive Producer at HBO Sports. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with, uh, uh, with Rick about making Nick's final dream come true. And then we also have with us today Joanne Bizzoglo. Uh Joanne is a PhD psychologist. She is the Senior Director of Research at the Cancer Support Communities uh, Research and Training Institute. Welcome, Rick. Thank you. And welcome, Joanne. Thank you, Kim. So, Joanne, you know, I want to start with you. We've just heard about the um, incredible life that Nick Charles led, uh, and and really, even in his in his final months, and really that, uh, you know, first of all, obviously, he was covering uh, quite a bit of boxing later in his career, and this 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 really was the the, you know the fight of his life, and and we saw in in some of his conversations um, how he really wanted to create a legacy in the final months of his life. And I'd just love to get your observations, Joanne, about what listeners can, can take away from his story and, and how folks really do start to think about a legacy when they know that they have a terminal diagnosis. Well, he really was an extraordinary man and lived an amazing life. Uh, I think particularly we can see that Nick didn't stop living just because he had cancer. And even though he knew he was dying from cancer, he was still very much alive in his final months. We learned from him he was in the process of building a house for his daughter and recorded a video message for his daughter, you know, Giovanna, who's five years old, for each of her future birthdays. And I think the piece that listeners can take away from the story is how powerful and meaningful it can be to be aware that time is limited. 
We all know what happens when we have a deadline. Suddenly we're able to do things we didn't know we could accomplish and are able to put things in perspective about what is important and what are our, what are our priorities. What really struck me about Nick at the end of his life was his ability to say goodbye to those he loved. What a beautiful lesson to learn from him, being able to say goodbye without hesitation and with love. And so, Joanne, do you find that folks really at the, the end stages of life, I mean, is there a process that, that, that folks go through? Do, you know, I mean, how do folks really find that opportunity to, I know sometimes we talk about turning, turning a diagnosis of cancer into a meaning-making uh, experience and creating legacy for your, for your loved ones. And, you know, what do you, what do you recommend to, to, to listeners, whether it's cancer or another illness, who might be dealing with a terminal situation? Well, Kim, I would say, first of all, ultimately facing a terminal is, illness is a personal experience, and for each person it's a unique for a journey. Um, I guess when I think about it, I would also ultimately say that what I've learned from witnessing those who are facing you know, terminal illness is that it's the connections to others where many people find meaning. I think of someone who I met in a hospice in eastern Tennessee. Her name was uh, Laura. And I had the opportunity to interview her for over an hour and a half. And she lived alone. And she had no family and knew that she was facing her death. And she spoke to me. And she, it was really her experience at the cancer support community in Knoxville, Tennessee, where she found connection. Indeed, it was through the relationships that she formed um, at the cancer support community with others who were facing cancer where she no longer felt alone. She talked openly about the value of connecting to others like her and was forever grateful that there was a place for her where she could share her experience and find comfort in others. And I, I see this, you know, I, Laura's not alone. I see this all the time. And, and you see it yeah. even with Nick. I mean, it was his connections to others that were so deep and so meaningful. So, so meaningful. Um, I, I want to bring Rick Bernstein into the conversation. Rick is Senior Vice President and Executive Producer at HBO Sports and, and had a unique uh, opportunity with Nick Charles, really to help make one of his final dreams come true. Rick, how did you hear about his story? And, and uh, uh, t- tell us about uh, the, that, that, that final fight and, and uh, a little bit about that story. Um, well, I first learned about it in reading a, a Sports Illustrated in early March, and there was a commentary at the end of the, the issue, and I believe the title was something uh, to the effect that Nick Charles is dying. And in reading the article, it mentioned that, uh, that Nick, he, he had said, um, I wish I could call one more fight, but that, but that probably won't happen. Mm-hmm. And, and when I saw that, I, I realized that, you know, given uh, my position here at HBO Sports and the boxing that we do, that we could easily make this happen. Um, I, had, I had worked with Nick years back. And I, I remembered him being, you know, a class act. He was always professional. He was always prepared. He was a pleasant to, a ple- it was a pleasure to work with. And you know, here was a situation where we could make this man's dream come true, and mm-hmm. it would be so easy to do so. Um, as far as the final fight, he was very prepared. He participated in our fighter meetings. He was so excited. Um, the most important thing to me. Was was that I wanted Nick to enjoy this night. Um, yeah. It is it is live TV, and you never know what might happen during live television. 
And the, there were two thoughts that were going through my, uh, through my mind that evening. Yeah. I mean, the first was that, please don't let it be a first-round knockout. You know, I, I wanted Nick <laughs> to have the opportunity to, you know, to call a, um, a long fight. And, and fortunately, it, you know, it did last for about ten rounds. Um, but, uh, but the second thing that I realized as we were going on the air is I'd never heard Nick call a fight before. While he had worked for us, it was not in the position that we call as a blow-by-blow announcer. He'd been working in a, in a host capacity. But, you know, but honestly, it, it didn't matter. You know, on, mm-hmm. you know, on, on, on this night, um, you know, how Nick called the fight, you know, that was no concern of ours. You know, we just wanted it to be a special night for Nick. And when we went off the air, um, Nick said to me, he said, I nailed it. And he was, he, he was so proud of his performance. Mm. And then he said to me, he said, tonight was the highlight of my career. <sighs> I'm getting yeah. choked up now just, yeah. you know, just thinking about it because, I, I mean, I was just speechless. And, you know, it, it, just, it just doesn't get any better than that. And, and, you know, I think that, that, you know, what you've described, I mean, uh, you know, the uh, analogies in some ways are sort of poetic in this conversation, but, you know, you said, gosh, I hope it's not a first-round knockout, and I think that's probably what, what he was thinking when he was diagnosed with cancer, um, and uh, he really did beat the odds and, and um, you know, li- li- lived certainly beyond what, they, what the prognosis was and what, you know, what they had, they had uh, projected, and, and, you know, you talk about how the fight went 10 rounds, I think he probably went more than 10 rounds with this cancer and um, just decided, you know, from the time of his diagnosis to when, uh, when, when, when his death was going to come, he was going to really make the most of that. And, and uh, he said, uh, you know, I remember watching one of his interviews and he said, you know, look, I've made, made some mistakes in my life for sure, but I, uh, I've kind of figured things out right now. And um, he said that, that's probably a good thing. You could just tell that he was just living this kind of heightened heightened life. There was this like heightened awareness of everything going on around him um, uh, as a result of the diagnosis. Um, Rick, what, what, did, what did it mean for your, for your team there? Tell us more about the night and about, you know, kind of the emotional reaction and the, and the connection to, to, to him. I mean, what, what have the conversations been like with your team there after that? Um, I mean, I'd say for one, look, it, it reinforced to me how, how easy it is to make a difference in, in someone's life. Yeah. Um, for for weeks, Nick would call and email me thanking me for the opportunity, and I mean I got to tell you, it, it should have been the other way around because Nick inspired us. Yeah. Um, uh, everyone who worked on this telecast, they later came up to me or they emailed me and they told me how proud they were to have been a part of the show, um, and I, I never anticipated you know the impact um, that this would have on so many so many individuals. Um, uh, uh, people who were terminally, uh, terminally ill or people who have family members who, who have battle cancer, uh, they were reaching out to me and they were, mm-hmm. you know, thanking me and saying how much Nick's appearance on HBO had inspired them. So it's, it's something that I'll cherish for the rest of my life, and I'm sure all of those who work that telecast will. And, look, I'm, I'm honored to have known Nick, and I was fortunate to have been in a position to make something like this happen. Well, yeah, I think that I think that that's uh, just a, it's a fantastic story, and I know that that uh, here at the cancer support community, we, we you know I, I think that we have folks ask us all the time. Those of us who work here say, "Oh my gosh, isn't it kind of depressing working in cancer uh, every day?" And uh, I said, "You know, it's just it's uh, for me and I." For you, Joanne, I think it's probably the same. It's, uh, it's just so inspiring, truthfully. And um, you, you always get that, that reminder, that glimmer that says, uh, live your life. 
do the things that you want to do. Don't wait until cancer comes. Um, uh, and, and, you know, we're going to see more cancer in our future than, than we ever have with 77 million baby boomers. Don't wait till that comes uh, to wake up and to do the things that you want to do. And for me, that's been the greatest gift here is, uh, is that, you know, that, that little secret that I've learned to say, do the things that you want to do, interact with the way people with the way, you know, the, you way, the way you want to interact with them, make it meaningful. Um, and, and for me, just working in cancer, uh, Joanne has just inspired me to do that. Has that been your experience as well? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I really think it is an honor to work with, with people who are, you know, facing something similar that that many of us that Nick was, and to see how um, really the deep connections that people make and um, how they are inspired to live their life fully. We don't yeah. even think about that, but that's the truth. That's what we see more more often than not. Yeah, and I just you know in in in, in closing the show because we are coming to the to the close of the show here. Um, uh, you know, we want to dedicate the show today to Nick Charles. Uh, for showing the world that a cancer diagnosis doesn't have to stop you from living your life. He was such an incredible um, example, and, and we just really want to thank Nick for his courage in sharing his story with the world and for the awareness that he's raised uh, around these uh, uh, issues. We do extend our thoughts and prayers to Nick's family and friends. During this time, we stand really honored to be able to share his story and legacy uh, with all of you. I want to thank all of our guests today. We've had a great conversation. Uh, again, uh, just uh, want to let folks know about the Bladder Cancer Advocacy Network, uh, www.bcan.org. And, of course, visit us at the Cancer Support Community, www.cancersupportcommunity.org. We have uh, 50 centers around the country where we are providing support groups, uh, educational programs, nutrition, exercise, stress reduction, free services uh, for people with all cancers at all stage of illness, also for the family members, caregivers, and loved ones of those with cancer. Again, our website is cancersupportcommunity.org. Um, our, you can also call us at 888-793-9355. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Until next time, be well. Do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.